Welcome to the Healthy Team, Healthy Business Podcast, where each episode we discuss ways to improve the health of the team that makes up your business and ultimately helps improve your business. We'll discuss mind, body, spirit, and finance as the foundation of building this healthy team. Welcome to another episode of Healthy Teams, Healthy Business Podcast. Josh Phelps and I have a great friend and guest, Dr. Daryl, with Active Health Chiropractic here in Winchester, Virginia. Stephen City, technically. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you there, Dr. Daryl. With uh, in Stephen City, technically, uh, Virginia. Uh, if you would share a little bit about yourself for our listeners, and then we'll, we'll get on with today's episode. So I've been a chiropractor now for 15 years. I've been at my current office location for 14 Um my wife and I started the business in 2007. She currently is still a chiropractor, but she no longer practices in the office. She takes care of our three kids at home. Um, they're amazing, super healthy kids. We homeschool. They're in tons of activities. I'm also part of the Virginia Youth Ballet Board of Directors. I've also been past president of Just Birth, which was a nonprofit educating people about birth options in the area. I also volunteer for the Sharando swim team in the summertime, and I currently coach soccer for Blue Ridge, um, Blue Ridge United on their rec side for my son's team. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so we'll get right into some questions that Josh and I had. Um, so again, we're really trying to see how we can help uh, fellow business owners, upper level management. How can they help the teams that they're working with on a daily basis, spending 40 hours a week with them? How can they help to... Um, really look at the ailments that maybe their team is is going through and what what do you see as some ailments that are coming into your chiropractic office all the time and uh, maybe some ways that we could help resolve those ailments? Well, I think, I mean, in our office, we see a lot of classic low back pain because that's what most people say. Um, they That's what they think chiropractic is about, neck pain. And when looking into the population that maybe is more in factory settings, a lot of that is overuse injuries. I think some of it, there's things people can do to minimize that, but some of that's just part of the job. I mean, if somebody's job is picking up something heavy, putting it on a table, and they're going to do that a thousand times in a day, there's going to be a cost to that. But at the same time, there's things that they can do on their personal, like with personal choices that can minimize the damage, minimize the long-term ramifications of those things. So kind of piggybacking on that, if you've got somebody that has a repetitive motion job, would it be just insane to ask them then to go home and then do more exercises to strengthen their body? That, I, mean, I, I think that's a good question. I think a lot of it is what type of, like if somebody is, we'll just say they're doing a lot of forward bending at the hips. Okay probably don't want to do a lot of exercise at home that mimics what you're doing at work, but doing stuff that works the backside of your body or what you call the posterior chain would be a really good thing. Okay. So say somebody that's always bending forward using like a kettlebell and swing, let's call the kettlebell swing. Yes, they're bending forward, but there's not a lot of load on the front, but they're working on pulling up to get that backside of their body stronger. Um, if somebody is sitting in a desk all day, yeah, they need to get up and move. They might be exhausted, but are they exhausted from the monotony of just sitting there where getting up for a workout might not just help them move, but kind of boost those endorphins that makes them have more energy going on to the end of the day. So it's kind of like I explained to people, if you're always doing one movement, 
you got to balance out by doing the other. So if something's always twisting to the left, you got to do some stuff that twists you to the right just to try to keep some form of symmetry in the body that way. So I don't think it's ridiculous asking them to do more. I think it's what type, what level that they need to do at home that way. Because a lot of people, their job, I just had a guy the other day, he's a concrete guy. I mean, he gets paid to work out every day pouring concrete. And if he can make the mental shift, like that's my workout. So my home stuff all needs to be about recovery. So doing stuff maybe like foam rolling, light stretching, that's where the hydration and the good diet comes in because the workout is the work itself. Somebody that's work is maybe not as strenuous. Yeah, they can do more at home to balance out not having as much activity at work, in my opinion. like that. How did you, how would you have that conversation or maybe with your team on trying to figure out what, like, so we have press operators. So they complain all the time of exactly that. They're loading t-shirts, mm-hmm. five, 6,000 potentially in a day. How would I maybe come up with that exercise if it's a forward bend or if it's a kettlebell, if it's calf raises, how would you, I mean, would I have to send them to the chiropractor? Do I bring somebody into me? That's a good question. I mean, they could go to a chiropractor, like a good physical therapist. I think a lot of it is talking to your team and getting them to understand their health is their choice, plain and simple. And their choices are going to have consequences, good or bad, based on that. And here are some ideas. You guys are doing this activity. You're doing it every day. You're doing it great. It serves a good purpose. But here are some things to help balance it out for your longevity of not just your overall health, but also your productivity so you can stay working that way. I think it's trying to get them to understand like it's about them and their long-term health. And some people, they're not going to care. I mean, we all know these people every day. But I think if you kind of present it in a way of for them being better at what they do and helping them with long-term health, the people that do care – are going to make a difference that way. And sometimes maybe it is bringing in a guest to talk because, again, certain authority figures people listen to more. Where I mean, I just had a mom say her son shared more information about his school day of school with me than with her. <laughs> and it's just because I don't, and it's just because I'm a, in, I'm a different person. Yeah. So I think it's, even though mom's asking the same questions I am, I just, you get different answers based on the figure in front of you that way. I used to drive my dad nuts. How was school today? Fine. That's all. That's all the answer of it was. Fine. Yeah, but that's a closed question. You got yeah. yeah. oh, to. So tell yeah. me some of the things you did at school today. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So. And that's that's where we like to talk about these different things. All about the different approaches on mm-hmm. on how you can handle these. So that kind of segues into the next question of how do you broach the subject? I mean, some people are automatically closed off and they don't really want to listen. But maybe like you had said is bringing an outside guest in is is a good creative way to sometimes break those barriers down. But do you have any other ways or or things that you do or tips that we could take back to? If I want to talk to my team about this on Monday, how I could maybe start to break down those barriers? I think, I mean, for me in my setting, it's a little bit easier because people are coming to me for for my opinion and my knowledge. That being said, though, I mean, I had a lady, her cigarette lighter fell out of her pocket, (laughs) so she smokes. Not good for your health. Right. But it's not not my job to tell her about stopping smoking unless she wants to hear that opinion. And some people are like, well, you need to tell her. I'm like, well, no, because if I just... If I just vomit my information, she's going to be closed up to it. But if she opens the door just a little bit, 
now I can share my knowledge that way. So I think it's somehow, if you hear like, say a team member is talking about, man, I just feel like crap today and engage them a little bit. And now it's like, oh, I was speaking to one of our team members. He was talking about X, Y, and Z issue. Have you guys thought that maybe if we do a little bit more ABC, that can help with it? So I think it's trying to, for me, it's kind of using somebody else's complaint as a story to then segue into here are some suggestions okay. that can help. Or here's a good resource to go to for people that are interested. So now you're getting people that are actively engaging to it, not just passively sitting there and they're already thinking about something else at the same time. So I always try to use the approach when somebody asks my opinion, then I will share it. Or I try to ask questions that opens up the conversation that way. Like somebody complains about how bad their back hurts. I'll try to talk to them like, well, how is it affecting other things in your life? Do you think it's going to get better long-term, short-term, or is it going to get better in the short-term? And it allows me then to steer the conversation that can open up other avenues of conversation that maybe they didn't initially think they were going to have in the office that way. But if they don't really want to hear it, I'm not going to just say it to them because it's not going to resonate. It's not going to stick. And for me, it's all about just planting those seeds and the more they're open to it, I think you can get them planted and then you can help germinate them that way. How about some obvious stuff, that, but still kind of sensitive? I mean, if somebody comes into your office and is obviously obese, and you can probably tell they didn't hurt themselves from a, you know, a great workout or something, mm-hmm. you know, are you obligated then if that person says, man, my knees hurt all the time? I mean, should, do you say to them, you ever thought about losing 50 pounds? I mean, how do you, because that's got to be, you obviously would, can see that. I think a lot of people know it. I mean, they, okay. they'll say it. My weight's an issue. I've put on weight. I've been struggling with weight, and that opens the door okay. that way. There's been a few times where the person said, like, why, why am I still hurting? Why are you doing A? Are you doing B? They're like, yeah, yeah. It's like, so what other things do you think we can do? I, I think I need to lose weight. Yeah, I, I think okay. you do too, and then that helps. Okay. So it's like trying to get them to answer the question themselves because most people already know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I ask you, have you done some things today that's unhealthy? Of course you have. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you can do that can make your life healthier? You can give me some ideas. So people already know what they need to do. It's just helping to get the momentum to take an action step towards it that way. So very seldom I have to just blatantly say like, yeah, you just need to lose weight. <laughs> and I don't ever say it that way. But, I know, I just... but it's trying to like to help them because they know the answer. Yeah, They really do. Or they at least understand that's a part and then we can get into that conversation that way okay i've been yeah. troubleshooting and that's what so much of leadership though or what i just enjoy about these whole conversations i think the majority of business owners they have a lot of the right answers but it's the delivery is mm-hmm. usually so far off <laughs> and you turn people off with whatever regard unless you're saying i'm going to add money to your paycheck you're going to turn them off on on the delivery um so and even some of them probably get turned up because they they're in a, well, what i have to do different like what yeah. i have to do more yeah. like it's just what they about to ask yeah but it's somehow just trying to get it's getting people, I mean, it's just getting people in a mindset to be receptive to what you're trying to offer and knowing um, not everybody's going to like it. And I think in a profession that I'm in, I'm fortunate in an S that so many people are so understand, so, so misunderstood about chiropractic that I, I've been rejected so many times and people come in, so I don't really care. <laughs> so I'm just going to deliver just the best I can knowing whether they're going to do it if they want to or not. Like, it's not my job to convince them. So I'm not really, I don't need that, that gratification. Like, oh, I helped, I got convinced that person to come in. I'm just, 
I'm here. If you want what I do, great. I'll explain to you what I do. If you don't, great. Come back at another time, and I'll be more glad to help you that way. It's a good energy saver. It is. Yeah, once you can come I wish back. I knew it at the start of the <laughs> <practice>. <laughs> That's what you learn over time. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, my uh, I know my family goes to see you as a chiropractor, so we know somewhat about the 100-year lifestyle mm-hmm. chiropractic care that you offer. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that and how one can impact their life with that well i think the main thing it's not it's not an exercise fad it's not even a a diet implementation of anything not that there aren't like i mean crossfit's great paleo keto i mean all those things have added benefits but the 100 year lifestyle is more of a like a principle or philosophy in life the fact is people are living longer than they ever have before i mean we have more centurions now than any other time before 50% 50% of kids born after the year 2000 are estimated are going to live to be 100. I mean, so people are right. getting older. The question, though, comes down to your longevity is only 30% genetics. It might even be less with a study that came out of China. So the other 70% is your choices, your lifestyle. Hmm. So if you're living a lifestyle that's only meant for 70 years and you're going to live another 30, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to have horrible health you're going to live um, a distressed life that way. So it's getting people to make that shift. You're going to live longer than you think. Are the decision you're making now, are they helping you in the long term or not? And they might be helping you short term, but is that a long term? Is there going to be long term benefit to that? And it just gets people to start thinking, man, maybe I need to start doing something. But at the same time, because you're going to live longer, you have time to implement things to get there. It doesn't have to be this radical shift because most people, if you make too big a change, I mean, I've done it to myself, it's not sustainable. But if you just kind of chip off one small thing at a time and it becomes a habit, now all you're doing is changing one little thing. And over a couple years, you've completely changed your life because of that principle of knowing you're going to live longer. And the, some of the principles within the 100-year lifestyle is that change is easy. It's thinking about change is hard. And it's kind of like we said earlier, people know what they need to do. People know basic things to get healthier, but they're not in congruence with the mental process behind that. And I think if they can get it wrapped in their head and get out of thinking and just take a few action steps, change is rather easy. It just takes time and effort because you already know, you already know some things that you can do. And once you start doing a few things, it leads into the other thing. And that's where the other principle is we always try to think progress, not perfection. Okay. It's if you, if you need to change your diet, maybe you only change one meal a week. Great. But you've done it for four weeks. Now let's change another meal and get that going. So you don't have to revamp your whole diet at one time. You're just kind of slowly implementing something. A soda drinker. One of the best things we always say, if you drink two liters of soda a day, drink a liter. And you just reduced it by 50%. I mean, that 50% is a big number. Are you where you need to be? No, not at all. But that's a great start. And you will see change drinking 50% less soda that way. Um, And then the last um, main principle is always approaching change with that 100-year lifestyle mindset. That, okay, I'm going to live longer. And if I'm 60, I still might have 40 years remaining. I have plenty of time to make changes so I can enjoy my quality of life. Because, again, the debate is, how much does lifestyle affect quantity? We don't always know. 
but it definitely is going to affect your quality of life that way. And I think if you stick with those three principles, it can guide you and kind of look through maybe some of the fads that come out. Is this really congruent long-term, right. short-term that way? So that's kind of the, the premise of it. It's a group of chiropractors that, that understand that the chiropractor that wrote the New York Times bestseller, I mean, he lives that, that type of lifestyle. And it's just allowing, it's allowing people to enter our world how they need to. I mean, some people they come to a chiropractor because they hurt. Great. They want to feel better. We'll help them. Other people want to make the changes in their life to shift their direction. And we're going to help those people too. But we want to try to give them at least a, a backbone of what we can do to help them. And it's just up to them to choose. Like we said earlier, like their health is their choice. I can't make somebody do it. I'm not even going to try. But I'll be more than glad to assist you or guide you along the way, however you want me to that way. And that's kind of the, the backbone of the 100-year lifestyle. I like that. Yeah. It's awesome. One of the things I've done, um, I do a monthly presentation for our employees here. Um, my stuff is usually focused more on nutrition because that's where I feel like I could offer the most help. But one of the one of the exercises I do in, in session one is um, I'll say to them, I just kind of go around the room, if you found out you had you know, two weeks to live, mm-hmm. what would you do? And you know, different answers from everybody. Most of them are like spend more time with my family or, you know, some of them are jump out of an airplane or whatever. But it's, it's a variety of short-term, like bucket list type mm-hmm. of answers. And then the next, very next part of my slide is what if I told you you had 40 years to live? What would you do? And then that, so you're, you're yeah. thinking there kind of reminds me of the, having that interchange with those words. Cause then, then all of them cast, they don't really know what to say when they think of that. Cause nobody's thinking about that. Correct. And the, the fad diets, which is my next, I'm doing that presentation next week and all this kind of stuff, these programs and everything are all about, you know, quick results, you know, make the scale move, obviously make money, mm-hmm. make something happen. Um, and then you're kind of just, then it's kind of forgotten. Yep. But that mentality, I think I really like. And I think we're kind of caught up in that people. I mean, the way, our, the way our news cycle, I mean, everything is based on uh, yeah. now instantaneous gratification. It, it is nice to a certain extent, but when you put effort into something that takes time, it takes discipline to do it. You realize that the end goal, it feels good, but you actually enjoy the process of doing it. And I think it's helping people try to make that shift that it, and it's cliche, but the journey is the key. But you got to have a big enough goal, that purpose to get there and knowing that, yeah, I'm going to fall off the wagon along the way. But I remind people today, the wagon doesn't move once you fall off. It stays there. And all you do is just climb back on and get some momentum. You'll probably get further along the second time and you'll fall off again. And then you just keep moving that along. But it feels better long term versus those instant gratifications, at least to me. Yeah, and you know, David, you and I have talked about that some, the hard selling point. Is the stuff that's not measurable, but the concept of feeling good. I don't know if a lot of people, some the bulk of the population might not know what it really feels like mm-hmm. to really feel good. They haven't felt that way probably since they were five years old, correct? Because of nutrition and environment yep. and everything else. And I don't, I just don't think people really know. And so, one of the cool things about when when we start seeing some results from people, and I think you've had this too, is they'll just t- they'll tell you that the first thing they'll tell you. I, f- I feel better. Yep. I'm thinking clearer. I'm sleeping better or my mood is different or something like that. That's a, an un- unmeasurable sort mm-hmm. of impact. And and again, you can't sell that. Um, but it's, it's just as important, if not more important than any other you know, <clears throat> physiologic results that 
Yep. Might come from a program. And that's something we try to talk to people too. It's like, it's okay to want to feel good. There's nothing wrong with that. We always want to feel good, but we want, we don't want to feel good under the illusion that we're healthy. Cause there's a lot of people that walk around feeling fine that are going to drop that of a heart attack. I mean, it's, I mean, nobody And the question I periodically ask people, can you be healthy and die of a heart attack? And a lot of people say, yeah, I'm like, it's impossible. Your heart did not get sick that day. It's been getting sick and you've never felt it until the heart attack. And the first symptom that some of those people felt is they died. I mean, that's just, they didn't even feel anything. They just died. So it's kind of that, yeah, we want to feel good, but we want to feel good based on the process, not based on their illusion. Because if you are slowly robbing yourself of health, the bar of what feels good is so low that you don't even know, like you said, you don't even know what feel good is. But if you can kind of get them to see above that bar a little bit, then they realize, whoa, what I thought is good isn't even close. And I think that becomes a big driver, but they have to have the foundation of it's because I'm making healthy changes. It's not just the chase the feel good because then you're getting caught up in the fads and other things because now it's based on feeling versus am I functionally doing things that's good for long-term health that way. So I think it's such a challenge. We have such a bad foundation of so many people that we mm-hmm. have to, we have to work on that. So it makes it such a challenge is they don't know that, or they don't remember that five year old feeling mm-hmm. anymore. So you're, you're kind of painting unicorns that they can't really understand. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's so, true. But yeah, these are all, you just threw out so many different good facts or or things. But I know that a lot of what you just said is what helped me when I first started on the journey, like three or four years ago, when I first started coming to you was, it's a very relaxed approach in my opinion. And it's a, it kind of just lets the individual kind of determine Mm -hmm. what pace they're going to go. Where my approach is, you know, a lot of just always been, you're wrong, or it's just, I can see you're eating McDonald's. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't work and it just turns the person off and then they don't want to do it. So I just, that's why I just love the hundred year life. And I wanted you to, to explain that a little bit to our listeners. Um, so. And I think that it doesn't mean that you agree with some, like I don't agree with all the people that come into my house, but it's not my job to judge them. It's my job just to provide information to them. Yeah. And somebody might say, Hey doctor, I'm going to come in once a month. Great. Okay. But if the conversation comes up, like, why am I not seeing results? Well, Remember, Josh, you chose to come in once a month, which is fine. That's your choice. But my recommendation is X, Y, Z. So maybe let's try to get closer and let's see. And I'm not guaranteeing you'll see results either because there's a lot of other factors in your life that you maybe need to address. But what it looks like, your goals aren't matching up with what your actions are. So we need to do two th- one of two things. Either you need to change your actions or you got to change your goal and expectations. And that's just up for you to decide yeah. which one you want to do. And some people, then they still, they will still keep doing the same thing, which is great. That's their choice. And other people, then you open the door so they can be, be like, well, he's not proving me wrong. He's not telling me I'm wrong. Okay, I'll start making some changes. And I think it just makes them a little bit more receptive to making some of those lifestyle changes that are necessary. Agree. I want to uh, maybe ask you a question that's definitely, hopefully, in your wheelhouse. We, we were talking before the ship or before the recording started about, uh, David and I deal with people in kind of quote unquote blue collar mm-hmm. positions. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your clientele meets that requirement mm-hmm. too. So the fact is your job requires you to do these certain things. Um, in my business, for example, our employees are on concrete floors, um, moving around heavy stuff. And then they're also wearing steel toed boots. Mm-hmm. So what can you talk to about, um, you know, movement, 
walking patterns, how that stuff is affected from what nature intended to what we've required people to do in their workplace. Well, first of all, I'm not a podiatrist, so right. I'll just say that first. <laughs> yeah. um, but in my, I think there are a lot of things. I mean, your work is going to require you to do certain things. It's just purely a safety issue. My office, I, I'm barefoot in my office all the time. It's my office, my rules. I don't have heavy machinery, that type of thing. So it's perfectly safe to do that. I think for people that are wearing um, steel toe boots, um, thick, heavy leather boots, there's nothing you can really do at the workplace. There is a movement. There are starting to become more what they call minimalist footwear out there. Like there's actually some boots that are, I think, meet like the army requirements that the heel is not as thick. The shoe has a lot more flexibility to it, but it still has the ankle stability that they're looking for. I don't think that's really entered like the factory work okay. yet that way. So what people can do is just get their footwear off as soon as they can. I mean, if work gives you time, like whether you have a locker or not, I just slip on a pair of like a sh regular shoes themselves. Um, you want a shoe that allows your foot to spread out. If you look at your, like a young child's foot, how wide it is, their toes spread out. But most adults' feet are just smashed together because their foot's conforming to the shoe that they're in. So it's just getting that foot stretched out, getting your foot rolled out on like a golf ball or a baseball just to stretch the tissues out because they're stuck in a cast eight to 12 hours a day just to allow all those bones to move. And most people realize a quarter of your bones are in your feet. And that means <laughs> yeah. you have almost as many nerve endings in your feet as you do your hands, but you actually don't have this, the dexterity and sensitivity because it's been kind of like diminished from always being in shoes. And I mean, I... I've known people that run barefoot. I mean, I tried it and it didn't work for me. And it doesn't mean it's not good, but it's just finding that bridge. In most shoes, you have a giant heel on them and your heel's much higher than your toes. So you're actually walking on your toes all day, which eventually is going to shorten your, your calf muscle and it's going to just work its way up to create other problems. So for people that are in those workbooks, I just try to tell them, get out of them as soon as you can. Okay. I would encourage those people to go barefoot. And most of them probably can't because their feet are so sensitive uneven surfaces but they need to kind of get that durability back in their feet could they do that by going barefoot now probably but i think it, just like anything you got to ease into it. like yeah. if you if you've always been in work boots and you go hiking in work boots you can't go to a strict minimalist shoe you're going to get hurt a majority of people are going to get hurt and it's like oh minimalist shoes are stupid they hurt well yeah you you just jumped into it just if i've never worked out and i jump into an elite crossfit class i'm gonna get hurt it's not the crossfit it was me not having the ability to do it so just easing into it, just walking around the house for a little bit then easing and walking outside a little bit or on the weekends getting a shoe that is wide at your toes and if you put it on a table the heels at the same height as your toes and that can allow it gives your tissues to, time to adapt and if you apply the 100 year lifestyle principle Progress, not prevent. Now you give your body time to make that adaptation without with minimizing injury. And maybe your body has changed so much you can never run in a minimalist shoe. Okay, but you could run in probably a healthier shoe that's for you okay. outside of that work environment. Right. Okay. I switched to minimalist shoes a couple of years ago. This yeah. Is, yeah. Life changer for me. It, I mean, it actually broke my foot. I started walking when I did it. Too. Really? Yeah. I mean, my wife, I mean, she, I can see the shoes I wore because I was like, I was held that I'm going to do this. And it's, again, it, I apply, I didn't follow the principles that I now teach. <laughs> and I was, I shifted going barefoot in the office, running in minimal shoes. And I, I broke my foot and I was out of running for years. 
to get back to it. And then I finally learned, okay, it's all about the process. I don't have to do it all the time. And I allowed my feet to change and kind of find what type of shoe do I need for certain environments. And it's improved. I can't run like my kids. They can sprint across like a gravel road and it's no issue, but I can go more, more places barefoot than I ever have before that way. And we usually try to wear minimalist shoes because just, just feels good. I mean, it just, I put on a, a standard shoe and my foot just, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Great. <laughs> a lot of fun, interesting stuff right there. <laughs> Some rabbit yes. holes. It's, I mean, yeah, well, it's just very interesting that I, I think about that because I think about your, you know, your profession. It's like, like you said, my, my back, my lower back hurts. And I, I've been through enough of that on the patient end <laughs> as a lower back pain sufferer. To know mm-hmm. that All that stuff is connected. Correct. And so, yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of different practitioners work on me, like where well, your calves are locked up or your, you know, that stuff's, you have, how, when's the last time you foam rolled your calves or stretched that kind of stuff? I'm like, well, mm-hmm. never. And so as soon as I start doing that after a couple of days, it's like, well, all of a sudden my hips feel better. My back feels better. Yep. So I think just making that connection with everybody. I like that idea. That's something we could share with our folks and say, yeah. Hey man, as soon as you get home or if you want to on your lunch break, walk out in the grass. Yeah. And barefoot. I mean, there's something to, I mean, grounding, I mean, it's not the yeah. most robust research, but again, the earth does have an electrical charge. That's so right. do we. So getting out there is that, does it help the balance? Is it a panacea? No, but I think most people feel better when they get outside barefoot for a period of time. Is it the best thing you can know, but it probably helps some. Are you hurting yourself? No. So to me, that's kind of like gay <laughs> stuff. Right. Yeah. What's the risk? If there's really no risk, well, it might not have a ton of benefit, but I don't mind doing it and I feel better. Okay. That's cool. But if I'm doing something that feels good short term, I mean, you always think like drinking that type of thing, but long term, that's going to have negative consequences. So it's just always kind of trying to ask that question. And the thing we try to talk like chiropractors have a lot of information, but our office, we try to really focus on like structure neurology because there's a lot of, I mean, you can get in all these things, but if we get people to understand, if you improve your structure, if you improve your nervous system, your body's going to function better. And if you want the relief, great. But if you want more than that, great. We'll help you either way. And we'll kind of fill in some other questions or try to divert you to resources that you can teach yourself. Because if you learn it, you're going to own it versus me just telling you. Yeah. And that's kind of the premise of how we try to practice in our office. Yeah, that's awesome. What uh, what do you think besides maybe doing a, a foam rolling class for my team at Signet that we could that I could take back and actually implement on Monday that would maybe have an impact if it's either in the hundred year lifestyle that you're always seeing a big problem or just I think it's it's trying to help people. Do they just want to complain or do they want to try to find action steps to make something better? Like you said about the people who work in the presses, are they willing to try something different that not only will help them feel better, but that's good for them year round or trying to get them in finding that group and maybe just making a focus group just to them, not worry about teaching your whole team, but then they'll be the example like, wow, I'm seeing John's doing a lot better. Maybe maybe I'll talk to Dave about, hey, can I get in on that? that meter can we have that conversation too and i think that then feeds they're seeing their peers doing it it's not just their boss implementing it and i think for me like as a chiropractor i try to live the lifestyle that i teach i'm not perfect and i admit that to people but i think the example 
will help you more. So it's trying to find as few people that are willing to maybe make some of those changes that, that kind of be like, what, like biohacking or whatever. And then they show results. And I think that then feeds in to the rest of the team members that way. A couple key change agents. And, yep. Yeah, move that's, a, that's exactly it. Where I think if you try to maybe, you might be able to give them like the vision overall, what you're trying to do, but then try to select like who are the people that are really going to take action. And then that becomes the seed group that leads into the other that way. Cause then you're just, I mean, to right or wrong, you're just wasting your breath if they really don't want to hear it. That's right. That yeah. way. And I know talking to you, you've implemented stuff with your team means that they've been really receptive to. So I think it's kind of knowing that they probably will be. It's just, can you create the environment that with you having to put the least amount of effort in to get the maximum amount of changes with them. And I always feel like just going smaller works better just, just for long-term success that way. So whatever you potentially need to work on as a company, but get a small focus group That's, to work on that. That would be my, my approach. It also allows you to kind of tease out, is it, because in theory I could tell you something, but does it actually work in your environment yeah. that way? doesn't mean it's not good, but you know, the benefit wasn't as much as we like. So now I can tweak it as we get more people involved to now even be more effective for our specific group that way. And I mean, if somebody's training, we'll just say with athletes trying to high level endurance, they probably need a certain amount of car carbohydrates in their diet just for what they're doing. But it doesn't mean the person that's cut out carbs completely is doing anything bad. So it's trying to just focus it to what that group is, knowing that everybody should eat cleaner food. It's just what does that specific group benefit from on a nutrition continuum versus someone else. And it doesn't mean one's right or wrong. It's just what's best for that specific group that way. I like it. Yeah. Do you have any last minute questions, Josh? No, or anything um, else? I mean, I, I thought maybe we can do another episode sometime. I'd like to get into maybe some nerdy stuff at some point. Um, <laughs> some of you guys. Cause That's what I talk about. Yeah, I, I geek <laughs> out on I geek out on the nutrition stuff, but talking about just chronic inflammation and yeah, you know, things you see with that. But I think that'd be fun sometime. But and, um, and I think for I mean the chronic inflammation, I think is one of the biggest the biggest things. Yeah. And how you address it, that's I think that's always going to be up for which I think is good up for discussion. But I think it's probably one of the biggest detriments to our society and it's great. all and it's a form of stress i mean yeah and right now we're living in an extremely stressful environment whether people know it or not and that in itself is going to increase chronic inf so if you're increasing inflammation from your food if your workouts are actually too stressful for yeah. your body and then your mental stress is high i mean you're just going to be chronically inflamed and there is i've never seen any study that says that's good for you no <laughs> you're always being chased by a tiger i mean yeah that's yeah. exactly it yeah and we, we got to turn that off but no um i know you um have a um facebook page for your business active health chiropractic right Correct. um so we'd like to just make sure we direct people to that and they can check you out there mm -hmm. um and you you've done some i thought i think um excellent work analyzing you know the past year and a half of what our country's been going through data mm -hmm. you know kind of a kind of a straight down the middle approach of like here's what this number really means mm -hmm. and here's what you need to know so i would our listeners that might be interested i would have them go look that up is there anywhere else anybody could find anything about you guys see what's happening i mean you can check out just go to hunteryourlifestyle.com it's just a good okay. um online resource we'll you can i mean we're linked on them our our office page is activehealth-chiropractic.com uh, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, which I actually don't know really what it is. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I know we have it. We use it. We post on it that way. And we just try to post stuff 
I mean, some of the stuff I post is just my opinion. And sometimes I, and I really try to, if there is a, a fact, I try to point where I got it from. I hate articles where people are like, so-and-so is an expert. Here's what I'm going to say. But they don't give you any resource at all. Well, yeah, you say they're an expert. It doesn't mean that they're, they're spouting off something that's factual. Or maybe they're misrepresenting the information. So I try to give people the resources that I give stuff from. Not always, but most of the time I try to do that. Yeah. And they can make the make the judge judge my opinion and figure out and formulate their own that way. Yeah, agree. Well, thank yeah. you, uh, Dr. Daryl, for joining us today. Thank you to the listeners. If you have any questions or anything, again, feel free to send it to us via email or to our Instagram page. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Healthy Team, Healthy Business Podcast. We'd love to hear any feedback, questions, or similar experiences our listeners have had. Please email any questions to teamdudes at healthyteamhealthybusiness.net. Or you could find us on Instagram at healthyteamhealthybusiness8. Or visit our website, healthyteamhealthybusiness.net.